Okay, right. So we've been looking at Esther over the last um, three weeks. Well, this is our third week looking at the story. And so um, we're going to look at the, the next in the line. So, so far we've done um, homesick and uh, God's working in the silence. So we're looking at how to partner with God. So we want to know how do we work with this God who sometimes works in silence. And we believe that God has really been emphasized in the idea of discipleship. So, just recapping, the first week we were saying Esther was an exile. An exile is someone that's not in the home they're meant to be in. And we were discussing how the fact that we're not actually in the home that we're meant to be in. There's something that God's put inside of us that longs for his kingdom. And we haven't fully experienced that yet. So we have a sense of a home that we've not lived in. And so we ask God, give me eyes beyond this world so that I'm not just distracted by all the stuff that goes on here because this isn't my final destination, but give me a heart for this world because you've placed me here to bring your kingdom and to see your love expand in this place. And then last week we looked at how God works in the silence and how humbling that is. Even when we don't think that he's working, we can see that he's lined up coincidences, which is evidence of him working. And we want to get on board with that by saying, God, have I made um, in my mind a plan that you have to follow? And am I saying that you're not doing anything because you're not following my plan? I release you, God, to do what you want to do. So, this week, we're going to build on how do we work with that God? And we're talking about being improved by input, by what you receive into you, helps you be ready to partner with God. A few years ago, we had a, a, a meeting with the church leaders to reflect on where do we want to be in 10 years' time. And we, we considered, you know what, one of the things that we want is that there's different people sitting in here having this discussion in 10 years on that we've been able to grow up another group of leaders that are thinking that same question. And we concluded that the thing that we needed to be doing in order to make sure that happened was discipleship. And we've, we looked at that in a couple of times. Um, a couple of years back, well actually this, about this time last year, we, we, two years ago we looked at discipleship. It's something that God keeps emphasising to us again and again. And really, it bucks the trend of this generation, which says that there's nothing good that can be given to you from outside. Everything is about you discovering who you are and what you believe and trying to bring that up out of you and live it. So the idea of taking things in and drawing things in is, is different. But that's what we believe that God has established for us. So today, we're going to look at some examples in the story of Esther of discipleship. And we're going to look at some of the alternatives, which are advice. Now, advice is good. We need advice. But we want to look at the difference between advice and discipleship. So we're going to first look at the story of Mordecai and Esther. So if we could have chapter 4 up. So we're in a situation at this point in chapter 4 where Haman has just convinced the king to pass this law that means that the Jews could be annihilated. Esther, at this point, has become queen, and so she's in the palace. 
And Mordecai, her cousin, who adopted her almost as her father, is outside the palace, but is very aware of what's going on. And so he's just seen the information, and he's just reported it. Well, he, he's actually in mourning, so what they used to do was they'd um, put on sackcloth and ashes, and he's been wailing for a little while now. Esther hears that he's outside and sends her servant called Hathak. So we see in from scanning through from verse 6. So let's take it from verse 7. So Mordecai t- tells her servant everything that, that has happened to him, including the exact amount of money that Haman has promised to pay into the, the royal treasury for the disca- destruction of the Jews. He also gave a copy of the text of the law that was predicting their annihilation. And he says, show all of this to Esther, explain it to her. And he told Hathak to instruct her to go into the king's presence and beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. So Hathak's going back and forth, having this conversation. So he goes back to Esther and explains that stuff to her. Then she sends him back to Mordecai saying, all the king's officials and all the people of the royal provinces know that any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So what she's saying is, You want me to go and plead? If I've not been summoned, if I walk into his room without having him request me, I could be killed for that. She's saying, Mordecai, do you realize what you're asking? So then Mordecai sends back a reply. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther receives this message, and then she makes a decision. So she says to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, the capital city, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or nights or, um, for, or day. Three days, nights, or day. Need to be specific on that one. <laughs> to be honest, if I was fasting for three days, you'd have to be that specific with me. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it was against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. I spent some time kind of imagining what that scene would have been like. I think it would have been really tense. It would be a real fiery conversation. It's particularly difficult having to do it through an intermediary. Hathak sent forward and backwards. It's worse than trying to talk to Sierra Leone through Skype. The things that get missed in that, tra- in that translation of Skype is, is always a problem. But it was a fiery conversation. So what, what do we see? Let's go back to the presentation. There's a lot at stake. Her life is on the line, but he's trying to help her understand that your life's on the line either way. If you do nothing, it's on the line, and all of your people 
are on the line. We know from what we've understood about this relationship that there's two-way care. There's a real love and care for each other. So Mordecai took her in as his own daughter, and you see that when she hears that Mordecai's upset, she wants to do something about that. There's a real challenge from Mordecai to do what is right by God. We don't see it in the text, but you remember what we talked about, that the, the, the writer of Esther purposely kept it quiet that God was involved. But we know that what Mordecai was calling her to do was get into the will of God. And it was a real stretch and a challenge to her. These weren't things that she would have been comfortable with, but he, he didn't let up. He could have said, yeah, you're right, it's, it's too difficult. You remember like that alternative ending that we had last time? But no, he said, no, you've got to do this. He loves Esther, but yet he's willing to risk her so that she steps into what God's got. And you see, she doesn't just disregard what he says. She seriously weighs it. She wrestles with it. She says, but the consequences of what you're asking for me, do you realize what this could mean? She was led to count the cost. She wasn't just blindly following him, but she wrestled with it. And then once she wrestled with it, it didn't just stand as a device that she'd accepted. She did something about it. She came up with a plan. And it wasn't good enough that she just did what he said. She had to come up with her own conviction. These are things that we look for in discipleship relationships. We want to see two-way care. A clear loving and trusting, a commitment to each other, an ongoing relationship over a period of time. We want to see that calling in to God's will, that stretching and challenging. And we want to see people come with their own conviction of things. Don't want them just to, 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 to be machines that just copy what they're told. We want them to become owners of the things that God's called them to. I was just enjoying the story. I want you to hear more. There's a point, though, isn't it? It's, a, it's an amazing story. Uh, have they ever made a blockbuster film of this one? Right, I think I'll become a film director and make it. Yes, that's right. Yes, There's, there is a film director called John Singleton. Yeah. They, on more than one occasion, when I've been checking in at the airport, they've said, are you the John Singleton? <laughs> of course, I always answer yes to that. <laughs> You see, we could almost relegate this to being a good story, an interesting story. But actually, this is God's word. And God chooses to speak to us. So our question, as well as appreciating the story, is really seeking to see what is God saying to us in this. And this is one of the major things in this whole area uh, of discipling, seeing, really discipling is about how we, how we partner with God. Thank God he didn't leave us to kind of, well, you know, I've forgiven your sins, now just try and sit there and stay out of trouble until I come and get you. Wouldn't that be boring? Oh my goodness me. He has called us to partner with him in the extending of his kingdom. I mean, that's a royal privilege that's a very, very royal privilege. And that's how we want to discover how best we can do it. So 
his word, he modelled it. He modelled discipleship as being his way. He took 12, first they should be with him. Then he said, this is what I want you to do, go into all the world and make disciples. And we've got to keep really clear and focused on the things he said. So we're seeking how to partner with God and discipleship is clearly the critical model and aspect that he's given us. So he puts us into these relationships in order that we become like him. So it's not becoming like the discipler, it's actually gaining through that process, God's way, God's method, in order to become more like him. It's really important that we keep clear on that. Um, Otherwise, you kind of miss the main point. We're actually in that, and that is God's purpose, and that is his process to make us more like him. So what is the the impact? Well, it's recognising that discipleship, I think, let's look at it by what it achieves rather than, than, than the process. Because actually the process, the mechanics, can vary, can be very different. But we're looking at the impact. Now here in this story, the impact was fairly dramatic. The impact was that the Jews across that whole great empire would be saved. You know, stakes are fairly high on that. But that was the purpose of God in that situation. So what we're looking at is, what is the purpose of God for me? And how can I access what he wants? Well, what's the first thing? Well, I don't know, I think he might want me to do this or do this or do that or maybe... Actually, the first purpose of God is how we are. The second purpose is what we do. So the first purpose is that we're becoming more like him. Process? Hmm. Well, it helps us to see and look out beyond ourselves, what we might call an alternative view. It helps us to see others when there would be a danger uh, for some of us that we might get a little bit focused on ourselves. Do you, do you know anybody like that? that you know, never met anybody like that? Hmm, try looking in the mirror, you might find one. <laughs> it helps us. See, it's God's way to help us to walk in his will. You see, when we talk about the fact it's not a list of instructions that you've got to follow, we talk about he actually commits himself. But part of committing himself is that he uses others. Then we come back to the whole thing that he's laid out in his word, discipling. He brings us back. So the person that's discipling doesn't become God, but they are used by God in his process of personal involvement with you. That's why love and care and interest is absolutely key in a discipling relationship because it makes us receptive for what is actually being said. You know this. If you know somebody loves you, cares for you, is interested in you, you're far more likely to to kind of take seriously what they say, even if what they say doesn't kind of, you know, feel totally comfortable at the time. When you conclude, well, but actually, yeah, they, they do love me. They do care for me. They've got my best interests at heart. 
There is something within us that causes us to, to be more ready, more disposed to hear. And the end product is that it kind of helps us in that process of becoming more like Jesus. Does that sound good? Mildly good. Could we just try that again? To become more like Jesus? Is that good? So while we're thinking about um, discipleship, we're trying to think of a a catchy way to describe things. And um, for some reason I've got into uh, acronyms. I don't know why. I don't know if you catch a disease, it turns into fascinate with acronyms. But anyway, I've gone for thrive. So disciples thrive. Someone that enters into such a relationship, their relationship with God will thrive. So these, this is a framework to try and explore some of the key features that we would expect to see involved in a discipleship relationship. So the first thing is that there be training. There's a transfer of skills and character. There's, there's a training to become more like Christ in some kind of way. There's something that I'm pursuing that I, I, I want that. It, it's kind of like apprenticeship, but as we go on, it's more than just apprenticeships. That there's honesty, real open, we're really open about real life leading to real growth and breakthrough. There's an ease of being true about what's going on, and that leads to a personal conviction in the things that we're, we're looking about. That there should be relationship, just as we saw in the story of um, Mordecai and Esther, that there was a two-way love and care, a serving um, and taking an interest. There's an interaction where lives overlap. There's opportunity to see how each other work. Sometimes when um, we, we have... It's kind of more accountable relationships than discipleship is where you can almost book in a time and you come and you do an update on things, which is good... I'm not saying that that's bad, but you don't get to see how each other react. So when I'm with a young person, I take them out for a milkshake, we sit there and we chat about how's school going, how you're getting on, how your parents treating you, things like that. And that, oh yeah, no, we're, we're doing well, we're doing well. It's only when a parent calls and the young person answers the phone and speaks to them in a certain way that I think, oh, no, 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 that's not expressing the things that we want. And then we can have a conversation about that. But that was because our lives overlapped at that moment in time. It wasn't just based solely on what the person thought to say. There's a vision. I, I, I want to see the person I'm discipling develop, and I want to even be able to participate in that process or give them suggestions of how I see that happening. And there should be an exampling of, of Christ's likeness. They must be able to see some of these kingdom principles being lived out. And we know that um, we would have seen that kind of stuff with Mordecai, for Esther's perspective. We knew that he was a man of integrity. We see that he's risking his life because he wouldn't honour Haman when he didn't deserve it. She would have witnessed things about the way that he lived that really helped, helped her thrive in her relationship with God. So as a way of thinking, is this a, a discipleship relationship or do, does it have thrive in it? 
Now, we've started by talking about the impact before, we've talk, before we're talking about the mechanics, because the mechanics can change, and we can get kind of fixated on, all right, I need to see the person this many times a week, I need to talk about these things, and it needs to be in this setting. That stuff, that's not the key thing that we want to focus on. The key thing is, what does it lead to? What is the change that it, it causes? And if we think about Mordecai and Esther's relationship, you remember when we knocked down the dominoes? Was God's purpose served by that individual? That's what we want to see. Is that person becoming more Christ-like at the end of the day? Do they love and obey God better? Are they, is, is that the development that we're seeing? That's the most important thing that we want to see. But as I say, the, the mechanics... There's things that you've got to work out that work for you in your relationship. So I, um, I often meet with the young people. We go out for a milkshake. Now, if my dad has been discipling me and I just copy the mechanics, we'd be, I'd be taking them and we'd be having cheese and wine together. Now, I don't know. David, cheese and wine? Milkshake. Where, where are you at? Milkshake. Okay. So we need to be able to adapt these things as and when. But there will be challenging conversation. There will be demonstrations of love and care, both ways, serving. So let's have some live examples. So let's, um, can I have John, Dawn, uh, Fernando and Avril? I want to have these guys come and chat with us because there's some things that I think we can see from the way that they've related that might be interesting for us. All four of these guys are talkative, so we'll see how we get on. So let, let's first look about first look about the impact. So, Avril, you would say that both John and Dawn have had input into your life. You would probably say that Mum knows everything about you. Um, what has been, for you, the impact of this relationship? Um, I think it's been challenging, but it's also been... I've just known a real sense of interest and care. And Donald often just texts me when she knows something's happening or just in a way that always really touches me, thinking, oh, it's like she remembered that. That really means a lot. But she's also very annoying. <laughs> OK, we, we, get, we, we get on to the annoying... What difference has it made for you? So what's been the outcome of the relationship, would you say? I'm interested. <laughs> I, think I think for me, the, the sense of someone walking with you is very encouraging. And also, when someone walks with you, they also see the bits where I might be going a particular route. So I'm a bit of a schemer. So I always have a plan, which is seldom God's, and Don has been very good at just helping saying, really? Do you think that's really what God said to you? Yes. And kind of helping me really just find my way in God, really. Okay, so if we think back to the Esther-Mordecai relationship, Esther was scheming. Her scheme was keep my head low, let, just, just keep quiet. And Mordecai's role was to say, what, how do you put yourself into the will of God? And that's what we're seeing there. Um, John, you've... You've been impacted by your relationship with both Avril and Fernando, but yeah, um, sure. As someone that's been discipling, what for you has been the the impact? Okay, I think there's a 
I think there's a real joy in um, seeing people progress and develop in God. Um, yeah, I think there's a, there's a benefit from being challenged. Why do you do this? Why do you say this? Why do you think this? Obviously, so that I can always prove that I was right anyway. Yeah. Um, and I think also, we're talking friendship and relationship, companionship, which is, which is something that we all, all really know and appreciate. And learning how to respond. I think it's a great learning exercise for anybody that's uh, decycling. Fernando, when we're talking about Thrive and the E being exampling of Christ-likeness, what have you seen exampled by John that has challenged and benefited you? Uh, well, it's been a big cha- uh, changes in our lives, and they, they are an example as a couple, uh, as friends, uh, as a Christians. And for me, the way I, I, I approach to Marisa, I've been challenged. But one of the things that impacted me the most was when he said, um, it's not what you say, it's how you say that make the difference. So perhaps I say the same thing in a, in, with love, and the impact is more, is, is bigger. Okay. Well, it was quite interesting. When we were talking about it before, we realized that John actually got to model the very thing that he was challenging um, Fernando on. He was a very, it was a very gentle correction to show maybe a gentle cor- correction will get you a better result at the end. Dawn, what have you gained from your relationship with Avril? Um, I think I've been very challenged the way that, that when Avril feels that God's told her something, she will pursue it. And I found that to be, made me look at my life to think, where am I doing that? Or where am I just ducking out? Okay. And you've talked about experiencing challenging from her, which yes. she's got a certain phrase that she... Yes. Uh, I don't like being challenged, you know, because I'm normally right. Um, <laughs> or I think I'm right. And Avril will say to me, I'm just wondering, and I know that the fist is coming out because <laughs> she's going to have something that she's going to um, bring a different view to me. When I need or feel I need to challenge something in Avril, I feel like Esther going to the king. (laughs) (laughs) You you talk about putting on your tin hat. Yes. (laughs) We share a tin hat. (laughs) So you can begin to see that Though there is a, a, a real recognition of Avril that she's coming to draw from what Dawn's got, that she's not passive in that. She will still challenge and, and, and confront and be a friend both ways. And it's important that we don't put people on a pedestal where they can't be um, challenged, because that's also how we learn and how we grow at the same time. Okay, now let's look a little bit about the mechanics. Avril. How does the relationship actually work, i.e., do you have appointments, agenda, do you have an exclusivity contract where she, only Dawn has the right to know what's going on? How do you get your lives to overlap? When I first got to know John and Dawn, I always wanted an appointment in the pink room. And it would often... The pink room's now green. Then the green's pink, right. 
And often I would end up walking around with Dawn as she was cleaning the toilets, or John would be changing a plug at the same time. And I never felt I had the full attention. But I think that's how it's continued. So we, we talk in life. We don't have appointments. I'll pop in. And that's changed over the years in terms of the way our lives are. And I think as well, it's, um, it's, just, a, it's just kind of how we fit in and overlap in lives, really. Yeah. When, um, when, uh, when Rachel would come and see Mum, we would walk in and realise, oh, Rachel's here. We know what's going to happen now. Dinner will be late by half an hour. <laughs> so this kind of, in life, it has a knock-on effect for everyone. <laughs> so, so Avril will often drop in, which suits the lifestyle. Other people live in... Live in a situation where you, you can't do the, the drop-ins drop as regularly, but there has to be an intentional, how are we going to make our lives overlap? You actually had an example of how you provide that for, for other people, the opportunity to overlap in terms of airport runs. Yeah, so, I mean, certainly the people that I connect with, <laughs> there's many opportunities, but just, you know, it might just be we go a walk or if somebody's got a dog, sometimes we do dog walking or... Or just like if we need to lift to the airport or just go out for a meal or something. So it's just ways that aren't appointments, I think, are really important. There's times when you need to talk properly, but there's a lot of times we just need to just chat. And in terms of exclusivity, I talk to lots of people, because I am a talker. But, but Don would be the one who would know everything, but I would talk to friends about different things. And you'd bounce opinions... Yeah, and I would maybe say to Don, somebody was saying this to me or somebody, you know, we were chatting that through and yeah. Okay. Um, Fernando, you're a man of many questions. <laughs> what kind of questions do you, do you ask John when you're with him? Well, um, I ask personal questions about uh, my relationship with Marisa and my kids. I also, uh, because we live in uh, groups, the house group and main group, it's a lot of questions that, and a lot of things that I don't know that I have to seek advice uh, from John. And he's a wise man and he always helped me. So do you send an agenda ahead of your time of seeing John saying these are the things that we need to discuss when we're together? Or how, how do you do it? Not necessarily. So sometimes I highlight the things in particular when something is going on with, in my life, whether it's the leadership or not. I highlight the points. And I present it to him because I need that feedback. I need more because I don't have answers. You physically highlight? In my brain. You, okay, right. <laughs> so, so you're collecting things of life all the time yeah. and you're thinking, that's something I need to explore. So then when you have the opportunity, you're, oh, yeah, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this. Yeah. And you're asking, what's your thoughts against those things? Okay. Um, I've... When was the first time you realised you could be as open and vulnerable to John and Dawn as you are? Well, I did turn up on their doorstep pretty much the first time I interacted. I'd, <laughs> I'd fainted on a tube, and they, they were the only number I had at the time, and I'd just moved into this down here. And so I'd, I'd fainted and been very sick, and I, got, I didn't know what to do, so I'd called them, and I felt a bit embarrassed, but I said, I don't know where I am or what to do. I was very sad. And John said, get in a taxi. And no, she, and she didn't have any money to pay the taxi. <laughs> I, I never have money. And John just said, get in a taxi. And she's I'm... never repaid us. <laughs> <laughs> 
And he said, he said, get in a taxi and come to us. So I, I arrived at the door looking very sad. And Don looked, opened the door. This is the first conversation I'd ever had with Don. She opened the door and she said, hmm, let's, let's get in a bath. <laughs> so after that, to be honest, it was quite easy. But I think, th I think there's layers, isn't there? As you get to know somebody and as you trust people, there's kind of layers. Yeah, so you, you could say almost metaphorically, if someone is willing to bring you into their house when they're covered in sick, you can be pretty vulnerable with that person. Yeah. John, what was your... Uh, sorry, do you have higher expectations of um, Fernando and, and Avril? What, 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 what do you demand of them? I think we've got to just be careful on that. I think, yes, I would have higher expectations, but that's, that's different to kind of having a kind of exclusive set of rules. So expectations because of the closeness of relationship and the things that we're doing, but not a demanding. So I would expect that Fernando will talk something through because I know what he tends to do and how the conversations we have. I would not think, Fernando, you talked with somebody else before you talked to me. How can that be? That moves it into a kind of unreal, unrelational, legalistic position. So it should be something from the heart. And yeah, I think... Again, because of the relationship, if I asked him for something to do something, yes, I would have a high expectation. But equally, I would find it easier to ask somebody that I'm close to, that engage with, that we're work, walking things together, than somebody who wasn't in that situation. So I think it, it comes out of relationship. Um, yes, I would expect... Well, let me just separate it. I would expect that Fernando would be ready to hear... With Avril, after several hours of intense discussion, I would expect that she would realise that I was right from the beginning. <laughs> you, you've said in regards to that that you know for Avril's good that sparring is, help, helps her. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just explain that. Some people process things through discussion, through but I think this, and I think that. And in the end, it's never about, it's not about winning an argument. It's about sharing what you feel is God's word, God's heart into a situation, and trusting that the Holy Spirit will make that real, at the same time being ready to hear that there are different ways to approach it. And you wouldn't necessarily be that way with each person. So there's, a, there's an adapting to the needs of the person that you're... Yes, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think there would be um, a readiness to hear with an expectation of having something to share. So, for instance, Fernando, you would say, would have a high quality of workmanship with the things that he's producing when he's serving you. Things are at a level of perfection. Mm. You, you wouldn't necessarily carbon copy that when you're working no, with, with Avril? No, <laughs> I mean, yeah, very interesting. I mean, it's happened, this has happened recently. Can I, is that okay? Yeah, yeah, go yeah. For it. I don't know how we are for time. Um, Fernando we, serves me 
and I look to serve him, which is an important thing, two-way thing, same with Avril. But Fernando, I mean, he's a perfectionist. And he come to do something for me, and I'm saying, okay, that'll do, just do that. No, no, no. I mean, the other day, he's painting some sealer on. Okay, brush, slap a bit on, job done. It's about half an hour later. I'm like, yeah, all right, okay. Uh, probably a day or two after, Avril invites me to go and help her show me how to drill. This is Avril drilling. She's got the steps here, and she, because she just wants to get it done. She's over there. Avril, you would find it easier if you move so that you were, you know, oh, I just want to get it. I'm not worried about the thing being level. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm not Fernando. <laughs> But I'm not her. But so I couldn't get Fernando's um, perfection. It would drive Avril around the bend. But I couldn't get Avril's sort of, oh, it'll do, because it'd drive him around the bend. And I'm kind of in the middle, like the meat in the sandwich, you know? <laughs> but adapting, I think, to, to how people are, not having a rigidity in the approach. Just give us a few things of how you and Fernando's lives managed to overlap. Okay. We like to eat. Um, meals together. Uh, he feels a, a real sense of being called to serve me, so he comes and does things. Now things which I would struggle to do, and I really appreciate that. But then there's sometimes I can serve him. And uh, sometimes in practical things, but most usually in things to do with development and uh, handling that difficult wife. You know that wife that you have the problems with? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it, it often come do some jobs in the yeah, garden. And then do you have a set time where the gardening mm, jobs are done no, and then you can no. stop and have sometimes, a conversation? Sometimes those jobs take a long time, not just because of his perfectionism, but because we stop to talk and discuss and forget what we're supposed to have been doing in the first place. So, yeah. And you but I caught him out. I caught him out. Um, when he was going off to Spain, he kept on putting off how he was going to get to the airport. So I thought, let me look at the different ways... So I looked up the different ways you can do Gatwick Fly, you can do Uber, you can do this, and just put them down in an email and sent them to him. And do you know what he replied? I know how you spend your spare time now. <laughs> Fernando, you're a busy man. Why do you give time to do garden tasks for John? Uh, first of all, because I love him and I... I feel that uh, I got a calling to serve him, but we use that time to, I mean, I use every time I have the opportunity to spend with John to fire questions and get more information, and he's building this relationship that God put before us, so, yeah. Okay, so, it, so it's a real, a real desire to serve, but at the same time, you're, you're, you're gaining from it and benefiting at the same time. Yeah. Okay, Avril. Tell us the phrase, put the pen down. Sometimes if I need to talk to John about something, he's a bit of a fixer. And I can see him writing it down, like, well, I'm just going to talk to that person. Or I'm just... So I have to say, John, put the pen down. I just need to bounce this off you. I will do whatever needs to be done. 
but don't you try and fix it for me. And I know it's out of a, a heart to make things better, but sometimes, you know, you just need to bounce it off. So sometimes I've got to discipline him. And as soon as he has a penny, he's like, I can see him writing a list and I have to stop him doing that. Okay. All right, thank you very much, panel. Jamie already said that getting advice is very useful and very helpful. I think that for us, in our development together, we need to get some, some clearer understanding of this very, very important thing that God is uh, constantly underlining to us, talking, obviously, discipleship. So, advice, well... Let's look at it. Just because I get some advice from someone doesn't mean to say I'm being discipled by them. Just because I have a friend to chat with, that, that's not discipling. Is it good? Of course it's good. Is advice good? Of course it's good. But let's not get muddled up and think this is what God had in mind uh, when he laid it down for his word. The real question is, is the interaction, is this input helping me to become more like Jesus? Am I becoming more like him? Are the values and qualities which we see as being part of being like him being further developed? You see, we're thrilled with the story that Lisa Adams uh, telling us about the park and then last week about the, um, the amazing thing in the school. Do you remember that? Oh, fantastic. Just God at work. Don't you get a bit thrilled when you sit and listen? I mean, when I was hearing those things this morning, I thought... This is, this is God at work. I mean, this is not about coming to meetings and just hearing something. This is about the totality of our lives and God choosing to involve himself. This is almighty God involving himself in our little life. You know, in that car with Kim as she drove to that appointment was God the Holy Spirit causing her to hand over so that you know, okay, you're okay, you're doing fine, now get out of the way and let me do it, you know. But very gently. So, helping us to become more like him. What would have made the difference? So, let me just define, using the same thing about Lisa Adams. She came for advice, she got advice, it was very good, it helped. That's different to being engaged in the totality or the aspect of life development. That was one aspect. So, if we look at the story... Um, We've got, with Haggai and Esther, he was helping her. Uh, he was the one, the, the eunuch that was responsible uh, for all the um, virgins that were to give to be with the king. So he was in a particular training role. Um, it was a specific job, but it was a narrow sphere. On the other hand, when we go through the story, and by the way, you're all up to date with the story. You all read it when I asked you to. Uh, I tell you what might be a good idea this week to just read it through again. Yeah, don't take long, good story, easy reading. It's not lamentation, so you're laughing, really. But when you get to the bit about Haman, you see, Haman wasn't really interested in listening to anybody that wasn't kind of supporting what he wanted to do anyway. It's a great danger if we only listen to the people who will agree with us and support what we want to do. So his family were supporting him, saying, yeah, you really want to do something about this Mordecai and these Jews, and we're, we're with you. But when 
he was tumbled, you see that the family then turn and say, oh, you're in trouble now, mate. You're out on your own. Well, of course, they, they were implicated in the whole thing. So, yeah, that's, that's somebody who will agree with you to help you in the direction you're going. That is really not what we're talking about. Even the king in the story, um, he invited his experts, or whatever he called them, to help on legal advice on a specific issue. What, what, what can I do about this Vashti who has not done what I asked her to do? So he gets legal advice, and I guess he follows that to a, a degree, but that's different to actually getting comment into his character and attitude and position and where he's going. The specific was resolved, but his life was not developed. So why would anybody not, given what God says so clearly in his word and given what we see as the vital importance of it, why, why would anybody not say, you know, this is what I must have? Well, I guess there's always the, the can't be bothered. Um, you know, well, I'll get round to it maybe next week, that kind of thing. I mean, most of us can identify with that, not necessarily in respect of discipling, but in respect of a kind of natural inertia to actually get on with things. Or, actually, I'm okay on my own. I'm managing okay, thank you. Or, well, I've got lots of people um, I can call on when I need. Yeah, it, it doesn't really resolve the fact that there's somebody that you're engaging with, accountable with, and he's taking a, a more of a holistic involvement in your life. Well, it didn't work before. I've been, I've been burnt before. I, I don't really want to go there. I'm asking, are those reasons good and valid? I don't need anything more. Okay, then that's where we are. If we say, I, I don't need anything more, you know, God so often uses the... Um, picture of the shepherd and the sheep and I don't know I know it can be done but generally speaking the picture that I get is not of a shepherd grabbing hold of a sheep and ramming grass down its throat most of the time the sheep are just kind of left and it's up to them if they're not hungry they won't eat so I think that basic hunger is what's required that desire to actually want more of God to become more like Jesus if it's not if we don't have that on the other hand, oh, well, I've not got that, so I'll just have to wait until it happens. No. If we decide that there's something right in this, then our possibility is, and our opportunity is, because it's God who works in us to create the desire as well as give us the ability to do his will. Lord, I need you, please, to stir something in me so that I am hungry, I do have this desire, I do want to become more like you, and I do see that discipling is a key and critical part that you have determined. So that's the one way. What about discipling somebody else? I'm talking now, up until this point, about being discipled. What about being willing to do that? Wouldn't the question there be, hmm, if this is right, who am I discipling? 
And how does it fit with what we're doing, with what we're saying? And if I'm discipling, what, what are they looking for? And I am, am I f- fulfilling that? What are they learning from me? Not just about skills, but about my character, my reflection of Christ. I think it does raise some very important questions that we have to think and consider. I received a request to say it again. (laughs) Who am I discipling? What are they looking for? What are they learning from me in terms of Christ-likeness? Receiving? Let's come back to that. Who am I inviting into my life to help me on my journey to become more like Christ? Who am I being open with? Who do I have in my life that I have an expectation they will have something to share with me? They'll have something to help me in this journey to become more like Jesus. Who has some particular gifting, skill, character that I know I need and want and believe God's given to me to develop in that way? When we were talking about this, you know, your mind goes back. And I was thinking of the first experience I had of this way back. And you know how gentle, loving, humble, kind, pleasant, lovable I am now, don't you? (laughs) Well, I wasn't always like that. But God's spirit was upon me. And in this Pentecostal church, the way that things went, you had the Sunday morning breaking of bread and then the congregation, one after another, could pray. And the Spirit of God was coming upon me and I was an arrogant, cocky, well, I wouldn't like me. But something, and it would cause me to pray out. And Dawn's father kind of saw something beyond that external and began to talk to me, began to share an interest and actually began to import. And that was my first experience of it. But today, I stand here feeling great value of, of that import and uh, the things that he took the time and trouble and opened his life to share with me. And I guess I saw something that caused me to be drawn to hear him. So it was something that God was doing. And that's what we're looking for, what God is doing. All right. So let's conclude. Serious questions, guys. Serious questions. Let's come back to that one. Who am I inviting into my life to help me on my journey to become more like Christ? See, this is not something for one group or another. It's not just for leaders or... This is, this is according to the scripture for everybody. Say you've got something. What do you need to do to take that relationship to the next level? Somebody that you've already had some involvement with. Well, let's start off... Not with the other person. Let's start off with yourself. Rate yourself. How are you doing with openness? Being open and real? How are you doing with serving? God's chosen process and way of communicating. Love. How are you doing with loving? What are you doing to pursue time together? And in each of those things, what action? Because we're not just interested in words because that would reduce us to be hearers and not doers of the word. So what action would you take to improve on the above? In these days, we're seeking that as a people, we would get a clearer understanding that where things have somehow sometimes gone a little bit lack of clarity to come back to what God requires 
But it's not like preparing to do some sort of advanced exam. This is about the way God has laid out for us to become more like him, for us to grow up in him. So it's really important. It's really important generally, but it's really important to us specifically because we recognise, let me come back to what we've already heard today, the engagement of God amongst us in so many different things. We recognise that God has set some very significant things before us. Therefore, we're members of his body. And you know, he uses the picture, amongst others, of the physical body. Members of his body. Remember, they first of all have a place, a place of belonging. Remember what we've shown before. If Jamie comes and stands on my toe, I will not say, it's a long way from my head, why should I bother? I will say, my voice will say, please get off of my toe. And if he fails to do so, other parts of my body will engage. I will remove him because I'm caring for my part of this body. And if I stood here like this, and in order to sit down, Jamie and Jamie had to pick me up and put me on a chair, you would say, poor John, he's lost the ability to, to be able to move. This is not about belonging. This is about the body functioning. Lost the ability to move. See, God requires not only our belonging and makes provision for that, but also our functioning, not to do jobs as much as to become a reflection of him, to become more like him. Because, you know, it's how we are that's more important to him. And actually, what we communicate in the end is about how we are and what we are beyond the strength of any words we can say. So these are days where God is speaking to us about coming forth, training, Developing, have some questions to answer. Um, on that thing, it says, Who am I inviting in? If you look at Jesus' example, he asked the disciples, So can it go both ways? Yes. Can you see something in somebody yes. Says, I want to invest in you. Dawn's father in law saw something in me, I never went to him. I think it can be both ways. 